too much horror business driving late at night psycho 78 12 o'clock don't be late i said all this horror business greetings and salutations my name is justin lore and i'm lee mcdonald and you are listening to episode 72 of horror business horror business you're listening to Hira Business. Hira Business. And today we are talking about, uh, this is a fucking double punch of yeah. 1980s insanity. Yep. We are talking about 1985's House and 1987's House 2. The second, the story. second story. Or as it's called on the one poster, uh, the, the tagline is, Frightening Strikes Twice. And there's a corpse hand holding up two fingers. These are these are both Sean Cunningham joints. Uh, yes, he produced them. Uh, the first one was co-written by Fred Decker. Yeah, he, it was. He, he wrote the story, but the actual script was written by Ethan uh, Wiley, who directed the second one and yes. wrote the second one on yep. his own. So you know we're we're gonna be doing that house thing, y'all. You know what that means? We're gonna be talking about some Cheers, because yeah, this is heavily tied in with Cheers because. The ghost of Ted Danson appears at one point. Yeah, it's weird. Ted Danson is in both movies, but just his ghost. Yeah. He's alive, too. It's weird. <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah. A lot of people have, like, good feelings about these movies. I like how you've, you said that. That's a distant... You just did a distancing thing. A lot of people... No, they do. I'm, I'm saying, like, th- this was a thing when the, I... when The I, insinuation here is that you do not have good feelings about these movies. No, I love these movies. Okay, good. Yeah. When when I put these when I announced on our Instagram and Twitter, there was a lot of people like, "Oh man, when I was a kid, this movie was my jam." And same. So, I'm really excited about this episode, and you know, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get to the meat and the potatoes, let's talk about the gravy. The potatoes. The potatoes. This episode is brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers, yep. our beautiful, beautiful, lovely, very beautiful Patreon subscribers. Without you. We would still do this, but we would lose more money. So thank you for that. <laughs> for helping us not lose as much money. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, we appreciate every single cent you throw away. We will always appreciate that. And we have some um, some some new stuff coming your way soon. So get ready. I know we say that a lot. We actually. say literally every episode. But I think this time it's actually true. It's true. I have I have on my computer right now a half hour's worth of me talking about something that means a lot to me so that'll be out soon um if you're interested in subscribing you can head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks for more information on how to uh donate and also keep in mind you are not just helping hard business but you are helping the entire cinepunks network as a whole so um even if you hate us and for some reason you're listening to this this, this sort of like you're like a masochist it's like I this could be like a hate listen yeah like i fucking hate Lee they're like texting their yeah. friend right now like oh this asshole he just said something about things yeah fuck him you might not hate fat girl hacks, true. Or you you might not hate black sun dispatches, you know. You probably hate wine and cheese. Oh, those motherfuckers! Those pieces of shit. They are true fuckers, assholes of the Western. I mean, world. okay, Mike Paulshock is the nicest guy that's ever existed. Yes, so that's you know, but that chilly breathing, He's a terrible person. He's a real, real, real gadfly. He is. He's just a gadfly. He's a gadfly. He's a real scofflaw. <laughs> a ne'er-do-well. Uh, yes. So, ne'er does he well. If you want to support us, go to uh, patreon.com backslash cinepunks. There you can pick out whatever you want and figure out how to go from there. So yeah. 
to everyone who's already subscribed and, and patronized us, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means the world to us. My mom recently decided to subscribe. That's great. Thank you, Mom. I love you. I'm sorry for I am the way I am. But anyway. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the greater Lehigh Valley area. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, Liam, if I said to you... I wanted to get a uh -oh. shirt made uh -oh. that said Matt Gates is a sentient walking piece of shit that rose out of the gutter and learned how to walk and talk like a human being. I mean, my first concern is who's Matt Gates? Why are you dissing him so hard? He's a, a representative from Florida. He's the dickhead who wore the. Uh, oh, that he's, guy. He's the dickhead who wore the gas mask to the to the floor no, to make man, a joke about coronavirus. And then it turns out that someone in his one of one of his uh, uh, I can't even think of the word right now. Attaché, not attaché. His entourage, not his entourage. Someone that he constituents died of it. Oh right, 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 right. And then he himself was exposed to it. Yeah. No, he's a jerk off. He's a fucking asshole. Everyone making jokes about the coronavirus is it's a jerk off. Don't get me wrong. I think someday, hopefully, my hope is that this thing will turn out not to be as scary as it seems right now, and then we'll all be able to joke about it. But you need to wait till after we know if this is the stand or not. Jokes now are in bad taste. Yeah, when I hear people like, eh, like, no offense, shout out to the homie Tim Shaw. Yeah. When he's like, hey, I'm going to move to Las Vegas and uh, maybe, maybe, maybe my man Randall will set me off with a cushy office job. I'm like, Tim, I love you. <laughs> the Price of Progression is an amazing album. But just wait. We just don't, we, we just don't know. Yeah. And I just think now is not the time to try to be the smartest asshole on the block. Yeah. Now's the time to just chill out. And again. And you know I love a good stand reference. And let's just go ahead and say, I'm taking us off from the, from the topic just real quick. Precaution, right? Yes. Means a thing you do before things are fucked. Yes. Like, Response like, is what you do afterwards. Yeah. People keep looking at precautions going, well, that doesn't seem justified. Yeah, that's the fucking point, dude. The point is, this seems scary. So we're going to do extra shit so it doesn't get worse. And then hopefully, it'll leave it level off, and then we'll go back to normal life. Yes. To say, well, not even that many people are dead yet. You don't even under... What are you even... If, if we all wait till all the people are sick, then we've missed the boat. Then here's it's the too late. Here's, here's the fucked up part. Not that many people are dead yet. That is literally how the fucking stand starts. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's just Braintree, Texas. Who gives a shit about that? Whoops. I mean, let's be clear. How many people disappeared in the leftovers and it fucked the entire planet? Uh, 10%? It was it was less than that. Yeah. That's what's so ridiculous. Is like the the uh, if this many people all get sick at once, which is this is what's different than the flu, right? Everyone was the flu flu. This is a new thing. Yeah. So we're all susceptible to it. And and the people who will get sick are getting sick at the same time. And none of us quite understand what it'll be like when there's no hospital beds and people are just laying in hallways in quarantine you know, yeah. units just hoping that they get through this thing. And what, even if they all get through it, it's still going to cause... I, I'm sorry. This is the first, just the first opportunity I've had to rant to a human about I this. Love, I do love the fact that we're we're like attaching this to Chris Reject's name. So just keep going. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Well, here's the deal. Um, Chris Reject hates interacting with customers, so he is definitely into the social distancing necessary in this time. Yes. Email him. Have him ship you your shirts. Don't call him. You can't get it from calling, but just don't call. You might. Just, just email. <laughs> yeah, you might. Um, but the reality is, 
when this is all over and it's time to make jokes because we'll need them to yes. cheer our souls after whatever happens, you should get your COVID nineteen let's get twenty on shirt <laughs> at LVAC. I agree. And if you have an idea for a design, as fucking dumb cock as it might be, yeah. If you go there and you explain to them, they'll fucking they'll make it less dumb cock of a design. Less dumb cock. And they got reasonable <laughs> prices. So if this terrifyingly pre-apocalyptic rant that we just went on. First off, if you're still listening, fucking thank you. Secondly, if this has intrigued you or moved you to go to check out the services of Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, you can head to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Now, you might be tempted to believe that, like Liam and I, Chris Reject will be taking his exes straight to the grave. He can't do that because Chris Reject doesn't have any exes. He has ex-girlfriends. They all hate him, rightfully so. He does not have the straight edge like Liam and I do. Because Chris Reject is not straight edge. www.xlvacx.com If you go there, you can enter offer code um, bullshit. I just want to be clear. Chris hasn't given us copy. We're not. No, it's, it's not that he's given us copy and we're ignoring it and just jerking off all over his promotional material. Yeah. He, we just do this. We just do this. I want to be clear though. If he did, I would. I would probably read it and then I would make fun of it. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even dignify it with reading it. Mm. We should probably move on. Yeah, xlvcx.com. Now. Oh God. As I. As I as I burn the sage over the copper bowl. And I evoke the name of Yog Shoggoth in an attempt to gain wisdom. Oh, fitting. I ask Liam through the gate, because Yog Shoggoth is both the gate and the doorway from which the spheres meet. I say, Liam, what have you done recently involving horror films? Or horror in general? What have you done? Anything? What have you, what have you, what's, what's, uh, what have you done? <laughs> Oh, I, you know, almost nothing. I will say it is uh, fitting that you uh, referenced um, ceremonies and calling on uh, elder ones, though you went more Lovecraft. But I recently. It's actually a quote from the uh, Abominations of Desolation, the unreleased Morbid Angel record, but go on. Whatever. Yog Sagath just says Lovecraft to me. Am I crazy? No. Okay, good. The point being, I watched something a little more on the satanic side. Okay. A little movie called Alucard. Yes, that's Dracula backwards. Now, have you seen? No, it's not. Alucard is Dracula backwards. But the name of this young woman is Alucard. So it's a Dracula. That's <laughs> possible. Yeah. Um, have you seen this film? I have not. It is a Mexican film from I don't Mexico? know Mexico '70s, maybe '80s. I'm not really sure. It's hard to tell exactly. I mean, it's a period piece, so it's hard to tell when it was filmed. Yeah. Um, but it is. Very satanic. Uh, definitely moments where Alucarda possesses the power of the of the uh, fallen angel mm-hmm. just starts saying various satanic names and then things things being mostly nuns burst into flame. She just has her off and then fire oh. and peels above and then fire and you know whatever. So uh, it's also lots of weird lesbian metaphor and uh, it's it's a film in which it's it handles what we talk about. 
we've talked about on the show how it's weird to have these films where the horror films where um the satan is like fighting the powers of good because you're like yeah but if this is real then you don't get to win yeah so this is this seems like a waste of time or in the other direction horror films that are just propaganda for the catholic church especially considering catholic church mostly kind of hates or at least the modern i think classic catholic you could say they invented horror in some ways but uh but that the modern church hates horror movies but horror movies so often are morality tales where it's like well you got to reach for god because satan's here you know this is the rare film where you really what it feels like if you think about it in sort of and i will be talking i'll be talking i watched it for cinema smorgasbord so i'll be talking more about it there but just um what i felt like is i was watching a film in which there were two uh powers at war and the film the moment where the the priest is naming what's going on and naming like the devil's at work. We have to fight the devil. This is a scene where he and these nuns are like flagellating themselves, and there's blood everywhere. And it really says to you, like, these people are also fucked up. Um, and, and there's little things like that. Like there's uh there's a character who's like a uh dwarfish guy with a humpback who sort of introduces these girls to magical stuff, and then later gets them involved in the satanic ritual the same actor who plays that creepy dude then later plays a doctor who's like the voice of reason you know and you can kind of tell like that's the same guy what the fuck is going on (laughs) um and then even at the end even though alucarda has basically brought death and destruction to this monastery um she realizes in horror when she sees the only nun she really liked is dead she suddenly like doesn't quite repent but just is horrified of what's happened and sort of ends like screaming and whatever whatever um there's a sense in which she and her um best friend are sort of because of their feelings of frustration and their in some sense maybe their love for each other there's like a undernote of lesbian love between them that they're caught between two forces but that the church isn't necessarily good you know, like the devil is real. The devil wants to destroy the church, but the church, everyone in the church except for this one nun, is creepy and weird too. You know, I like that. the movie isn't necessarily saying like they're good. It's just affirming like, no, there's this evil in the world. You know, but you know, these you girls they're just caught in between, and that their res- it, it, the movie seems to suggest that their resentment, that Al Alucarda's resentment towards the church, is not unjustified. You know, like that she has reasons to be mad at them. Now, I don't think she realizes when she starts to dabble in creepy stuff that that's going to lead to as much blood and death and fire as it does, but that sort of goes in that direction. So I just found that really interesting. Plus, it looks beautiful. It's real upsetting. Um, The satanic ritual they're in is like super like nightmare-ish. It's just, the whole thing is just a weird beautiful nightmare it's if, if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it i can fuck with that the other horror thing i did is something that i'm sure you'll have something to say about too which is i finished uh the outsider wow what did you think justin uh i liked it um without giving away the ending i thought it was there was there 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 was a line in there that kind of like i i thought was rather haunting there's a scene when um, when Holly's like asking the outsider, I refuse to call him El Coco, <laughs> when she's asking the outsider, are there more of you? Where do you come from? How old are you? And he just, when she asks him how old he is or how old it is, it just replies like, I, I don't remember. And I just think that's such a brilliant, terrifying 
vaguely biblical thing to say, you know, because it was it was almost like when she was asking all these questions, I it, it had for some reason, um, it reminded me of Jesus talking to, to the to the possessed man, like what's your name? But no, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was great. I love the whole show. It was near perfect. I, I thought all the performances were spectacular. Uh, I I thought there was a few genuinely terrifying moments on that show. Like there was a few moments that it it had a real fear to it. And I really appreciate that. I I don't want them to do a second season. I I really, I don't know what the point of a second season. There's no, it's a totally complete story. It's It's done. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's all the damage has been done. You know, it's, 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 we, we've accepted it. We've moved on. Um, I, I, I think the idea of there not being closure is actually, uh, sort of this weird uh i guess anti stephen king kind of thing where it's like we have come face to face with something that we can't explain something that is utterly horrific in a way that we didn't know it was possible and yes we defeated it but now we have to live the rest of our lives with the knowledge that what the fuck else is out there and I think that's a fascinating thing to just leave a series on. Well, my worry is that if they bring it back, it won't be about El Coco. I'm I'm not saying that. It'll be about her. Yeah. That the suddenly the name of the show becomes about her, and then she goes and on more supernatural adventures. And technically, they've only sold the rights to Mister Mercedes, so someone could they could grab up the rights to the other two books so for those of you who don't know the one of the characters is in a number of stephen king books including a specific trilogy that goes together and people were saying like oh well how can she be on the show when they own her rights for mr mercedes but they only bought the rights to the first book mr mercedes yeah. so she is still floating around as a character they could draw from the other books and i haven't read any of those books so i don't know anything about it you've never read the outsider no, I've never read it. Oh. I, the last Stephen King book I read chronologically was the one where the girl gets lost in the woods. Oh, the girl loved Tom Gordon? Yeah. Interesting. So everything that's come out since then, I have not read. You should read The Outsider. It's fucking dope. I, they, I, I, yeah. You haven't read Dr. Sleep? No, dog. I haven't read oh my God. any Stephen King okay. since The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. And even since then, I think that's right. When did from, I read from a Buick 8. Did that come out after that? I don't know. I don't know either. Those are the only two modern Stephen King things I've read. Okay. I just haven't uh, paid attention. I didn't even realize he put out a lot more books. I didn't even know what Doctor Sleep was until like a few years after it came out. Interesting. And I was like, oh, it's a sequel? Okay, cool. And then they announced the movie, and I was like, oh, I'll just watch the movie. <laughs> okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not, this is not like a because I don't want to. It's just I don't read as much as I used to. Um, and so I can add Stephen King to the list of like far too many things I'm not reading that like, gotcha. really bums me out. Anything else? That's it, unfortunately. So I we already talked about the Outsider, so I'll spare I'll spare you that. Um, I watched a little series on Netflix known as known as Jesus Christ. A little series on Netflix called I Am Not Okay with This. Oh, that looks good. Yeah, it's not it's not horror per se. Um, I think it got lumped in as like a horror stuff because there's like a little bit of horrific imagery towards the end, but mostly just because it stars two of the kids who were in it. And I say kids and they're like 18 year olds now. Sure. Um, but no, that was really fun. It was like seven episodes, 20, 20 minutes each. So you could literally watch it in a day. 
Um, I saw The Invisible Man. Oh, yes. How was that? That movie was terrifying. I really want to see it. I just haven't had a chance. Uh, at the risk of sounding like a... At the risk of sounding like the SJW snowflake I am often accused of being, that movie should have come with a trigger warning beforehand. Or some kind of like... Sure. Uh, I don't think people realize it's a movie about abuse. No. Which is what it is a movie. That's, it is. If, in case you don't know, it is about abuse. It is 100%. Like, the thing that I appreciated about it was so many times in horror movies there is where something is happening there is like an explanation for like even in uh the fucking the hollow man sure the kevin bacon movie from like the from like 99 or 2000 as dumb and like uh sort of like um what's the word that they uh that they, they the, the slang term for a word that doesn't mean it, like the uh, pro, proton brain or whatever, as just like it's a made up phrase. Yeah. They give an explanation of how he's invisible. They're just like, oh, yeah, it's just this formula and it bends light around him and blah, 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 and all this other shit. And there's a goodish chunk that shows like how he gets this formula and it doesn't focus on like the, all the horrific shit he does. It's, it, it's that takes a backseat. One of the true brilliant things about this movie is that when we find out how this character is doing this, it's given so little explanation, and it, and by so little, I mean none at all. It's just, oh, he's a Tony Stark of like an optics company. He's the most brilliant optics professor in the world. Yeah, of course he has a suit that can turn him invisible. Moving along. And I mean, to be fair, because I've heard some people talking about this too, and they're, who, who weren't stoked about that development. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, we already have some light obscuring technology. Yeah. Like we already have. Like I think for some people, it, it seemed like, well, that's just crazy. And I'm like, well, no, we can. It's kinda, really not. We can kind of do something not as good as that already. Yeah. So saying, well, this guy does it better is not like completely crazy. It's what science fiction does, which is, okay, we know this is true. What if this were true? Yeah. It's like people expect it to be like, here's the formula of how he did it or some crazy thing. No, and that's the thing is they lay down all the thing. They're just like, oh, yeah, he's like a forerunner at the, at the fi- in the field of optics, and he just happens to have a suit that can do this. I'm fully on board, on, on board with that. And then it's just never brought up again. It's just he has this suit. That's what he does. And then we have to focus on what on, on how much of a monster he is towards his, uh, his ex-wife. And... Um, another thing that I haven't seen too many people talking about, but I, I think is essential to really appreciate this movie for what it is, is that we don't ever see, there's no flashbacks. You know what I mean? There's no, there's, there's no flashbacks. Like the only time we actually see this guy on screen towards the end, he's actually kind of pleasant. Ooh. So all we have to go on that he's an abusive asshole is her word and you fucking believe it which i think is like uh i think it's kind of like a fuck you towards the whole like well what did she do to set him off what did she do to it's just like no no all we have is the word of a survivor right to believe that this guy was a monster and i, I and, yeah. and and we believe it because he is a fucking monster uh, you know Elizabeth Moss is amazing. She has incredible chemistry with like everyone in this movie like nails it. Sure, everyone in this movie is just fucking spectacular. Uh, there are certain people who I won't name names, but their names rhyme with um, piss deject. Who d- who didn't like the ending because they felt that it almost made her into a villain. What? Did you see it? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, 
I won't that I don't want to spoil it, but right. all I'll say is like I, this movie, aside from the fact that someone can be invisible, yeah, is is not outrageous or crazy at all. Right. This 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 is this is how like I remember like I was telling my dad about this movie and how like. And it's oh yeah, that was like when 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 your grandfather would like beat your grandmother, the cops would show up and be like, yeah 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 yeah. We understand he just knocked three of her teeth out, but like, you know, like what did uh, what she say to set him off like that? And it was like, doesn't matter. You know, they would completely like just yeah. you know. Uh, so the way this movie pans out, I think, is an unfortunate but realistic progression of how these relationships play out. Like. Right. You just don't leave one of these relationships and you're fine and unscarred and you're just a, a whole person. You're, I mean, you're whole, but you're not like, you don't, not everyone is Andy Dufresne who can crawl through 500 yards of shit and come out smelling like roses. And I think this movie sort of brings that home in a rather graphic, unfortunate sure. way. Sure. Um, go see it. Uh, if you are a victim of abuse or you are somewhat sensitive to it, I would advise against it. Because it, like I said, it is it is a rather intense and graphic depiction of abuse. But I do believe it's an important it's an important film that people should see to kind of understand how this phenomenon occurs. Now that we've gotten that drab part out of the way, uh, last night I watched a little film called VFW. Oh, directed, I didn't realize that was available. Already. Directed by one Joe Bagos. Yeah, how is it? That movie is a fucking blast. I need to see it. It has like this ensemble cast. It, it is the way I described it is like it's got an ensemble cast of like Stephen Lang, William Sadler, Fred Williamson, George Went. Weirdly enough, to be fair, George Went was also in Bliss. Yes. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Remember that? There was such a weird scene. You're like. Oh yeah, that's George. Yeah, George White is in this movie. So there's a few there's there's a few other people from Bliss in this right, movie right, as well. Right. Um, and then the guy, the bad the, the the dojo the bad dojo owner from Karate Kid. But the way I described this movie was, it is ninety minutes. It's if you took Danny Glover's like I'm getting too old for this shit, and just stretched that out in the ninety minutes, and then injected it into a movie of like Night of the Living Dead, but instead of like zombies, they're like mutant drug addicts. That's VFW. I'm into that. And there's a lot of, like, there's, like, these weirdly touching moments where, um, because these are all, like, veteran actors. These guys all know how to act. Right. So there's this, like, one scene where the one guy's, like, dying, and he's like, eh, give me a shot, brother. This one's for the road. And his friend's like, no, this one's for my birthday. We're not going. And it, so all these, like, these moments that should be, like, really corny, but are very, like, very touching because you're like invested in these characters. And then because it's Joe Bagos, there's just like heads exploding, fucking people getting hacked to pieces. It's just a fucking blast. It is such a fun movie to watch and uh, it, it comes highly recommended. It's so good. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to talk about 1985's comedy fantasy horror movie. Wait a second. House 1985 was released on February 28th, 1986. Just a glitch in the Matrix, no big deal. We're going to take a quick break. We come back, we're going to talk about the comedy fantasy horror film, House. We'll be right back. This is a house where no one should live. Woman lived here before you was nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her. She was my aunt. Heart of gold, though. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy? <laughs> but no one is ever alone. 
in the house. This house knows everything about you. Leave while you can. No! It has been waiting for him. Hi. Sandy. And we are back to talk about 1985's comedy fantasy horror film, House. Or 86, we're not really 86, sure. 86, it's, it's, uh, the, the boundaries of reality are blurred, it doesn't matter. A troubled writer moves into a haunted house after inherit it from his aunt. Perfect. Directed by Steve Miner, written by motherfucking Fred Decker and Ethan Widely, starring William Catt, Kay Lenz, and George Went. Now before I go any further... Oh, and Bull. <laughs> you forgot Bull. Thank you. And Bull from Night Court. He has a name, but I just, Richard Mall. Richard Mall. Richard Mall. You may know him from from. You may Night actually Court know, is Bull. You may actually know him from Dungeon Master. Actually, I should be, or or possibly Evil, Evil Speak. Speak. Yeah. Uh, the special effects of this, I I know I'm gonna see this and be like, how the fuck did I miss that? Special effects were done by Brent Baker. Who the fuck is Brent Baker? It's not Rick. It's not Rick Baker. Maybe it's Rick's cousin. Yeah, Rick's son. I got someone to send you. This, yeah, this is this is my son. <laughs> this is my son, uh, Brett. Kane Hodder did some of the stunts. No one really of note. I, so I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole who doesn't know. What t- There's no one really I'm seeing of note who did. I I was really hoping I would see like Rick Baker or like Screaming Matt George or. I mean, they're, you know, they're impressive. The special effects. Oh yeah, no impressive. doubt. Not the shit on anyone. These are impressive. But so uh, let's. This was a movie that when we posted on Instagram and Twitter about that we were doing it, we got a lot of people who were. Stoked, stoked, and like very nostalgic about these movies. What was your introduction to House? Like, what was the first time your your earliest memory of this movie? Cable TV. As soon as we got, so we talked about this a little bit. I didn't actually grow up with cable, Um, and I think House occasionally showed on UHF, like you know, Channel Seventeen or whatever. But uh, but it was really when we got cable in middle school that it was like. I feel like they showed House on USA every other weekend. Okay. Like, they would just alternate between House, House 2, um, Big Trouble in Little China, um, the second Conan movie. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there were just certain movies that were always on TV. Um, and I think I saw House probably, like, three or four times on TV before I finally just rented it. To see the unedited version. Yeah. But to be fair, a lot of House was in the edited version. There's only like some really scary stuff. Yeah. So my first experience with it was more as a fun adventure movie, which is, I think, and we'll get there, why House 2 was easier for me to swallow. Because my first impression of House 1 was that it was a fun adventure movie. Yeah. If you take out the scary bits, it's just a guy in a house trying to figure stuff out, and there's some weird Vietnam stuff, and that's it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I watched it on, I think it was still VHS. I watched the VHS, and it was like, oh, God, okay, there's some actually upsetting moments in this movie. Yeah. Um, again, nothing horrifying, but the it's the special effects, right? When a, when a full-on creature shows up in House 1, it's like, 
upsetting. It's yeah, it's actually gross and creepy. Yeah, it's 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 not fun kind of scary. It's yeah. legitimate. Like, yeah. uh, look at that's uh, I and, got goosebumps. And, and also, the edited version left out uh, the 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 actual hanging from the noose ant, which is a pretty upsetting way to start the movie. Yes. Um, but that being said, yeah, that the between the two of them, and they were on TV so much that sometimes I would get them confused. You know, it's like which one has the dogger pillar, cat dog pillar, dogger pillar. I don't know what. It, I don't yeah. Know. Or which one has Gramps and which one doesn't? You know, and it was only revisiting these movies as an adult that I realized, like, oh, House One is an entirely different kind of movie than House. Two. Yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of people had that where they, they, they thought that House 2 was the, oh, that's the one with the Vietnam, and there's the jungle, and there's a monster in the jungle, and you're like, well, technically there's a monster in the jungle in House 2, but you're thinking of House 1, right. or House. So what Liam just said seems to be like a, there's some variation of that's like that's like a common consensus for most people in our age bracket who remember this movie. This movie was on TV all the time when we were kids, and it was the kind of movie that was just, this movie is like, just past what I would show a little kid. Especially the first one. It's just a step too far. Like, I could see showing a 12-year-old easily. Yeah. But I think if they were like seven or eight, I'd be Absolutely like, oh, not. gosh. Oh, yeah. golly. Yeah, so there, there's, there's moments. My memory of this movie is I remember seeing... Um, I didn't know it was called House at the time, but I remember seeing this movie on like HBO or some shit... When I was six, seven years old. Sure. And the scene that always stuck with me was when William Cat, the great greatest American, greatest American hero, hero <laughs> kills or gets in a gunfight with this like horrifying, weird, feminine ogre monster. And then the cops show up and he like locks the body in the fucking. Right. In the, the crawl space. And when I was a little kid, I had always heard stories about Bloody Mary. Sure. And this is the second time I've ever told this story. The first time was to Liam when we watched this movie. Yeah. When I was a little kid, when I thought of like Bloody Mary, like the urban legend that you say, I would always picture, I, that's what I thought this scary, lady. this scary lady was. That's what I thought this movie was about. Um, so for, 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 for a long time, that's, that's, what this, um, that's what this movie meant to me. And then, you know, revisiting it later, the thing that kind of a- appealed to me about it was that, uh, yeah, it's this it's this strange blend of, like, goofiness and almost, like, camp blended with a handful of, like, legitimately scary moments. You know, there's the scene where, and, and they only make an appearance once, it's when uh, William, William Cat's neighbor just shows up and she's like, hey, you're going to watch my child. I know we've never met, you've just moved here. Gonna watch my kid. Why I why I go do whatever. And while he's watching this kid, the child is kidnapped by these two terrifying looking imp creatures that they look like something out of a fucking Junji Ito comic, and they never appear again. And they don't have like at least okay. One of the things I love about this movie is that it ends up being something of a parable about like PTSD and Vietnam and the lingering effects of sure. uh, of, of, of how Vietnam has affected our veterans. So a lot of times uh, Richard Mall gets painted out to be like the main villain of the, to be the villain of the story. But it, several times in this movie, it's revealed that like this house has always been this weird, 
fucked up um, sort of focal point for all kinds of insane shit. Yeah. So I don't think it's, I, I just think it's like Richard Mall's like uh, Revenant who's like accessing it to get there. So there's all these like weird monsters that you're like, how th- what, 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 they have nothing to do with Richard Mall's character. It's just almost like the, it's almost like the house is like situated on like a like a like a thinny if you're a Stephen King person, and these things are just leaking through and making William Cat's life a living hell. Well, this so I, I think it's hard because I mean let me f- upfront say it's hard because I have a lot of nostalgia for the film, so it's hard for me to be critical about it because it's just so in- like when we were watching it together, I just was thinking about everything that was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, ingrained yeah, yeah. in my system. But I think the film just thematically loses the fucking track. Yeah. Um, weirdly, it's kind of related to something I've been thinking, which is like, you know, a lot of horror films are, we've talked about this on the show, are related to real world anxieties. And so, yeah. even if a movie isn't about racism or class or uh, gender or sex directly, these other anxieties kind of seep through and they become part of the story. There's a way in which in 2020 watching this movie, you're like, oh, okay, so this is a movie about a dude who can't get over his trauma, who's basically like the most privileged dude. It's just this rich jerk off who can do whatever he wants. And in a way, the movie kind of signals that when he's walking around in his deep V cashmere sweater (laughs) with no fucking shirt underneath. And he's also like, oh, you're a successful writer and you're hot and you just have a free house. But this horrible thing happened to you, so we feel bad for you. It feels like a movie written by people who've had a little bit of success. Yes. It's a sort of movie you write. It's a sort of narrative you come up with, more likely when you've had a bit of success and you're dealing with your own personal demons, and not a movie you write when you're like, I don't know how I'm going to eat next week. Like, I don't (laughs) know how I'm going to live. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, And... Uh, you know that could be seen as a harsh criticism i don't really mean it as one it's just funny like because in the situation we're in right now where i'm thinking about politics and the economy and everything crashing because of a, of a virus um i'm a little more sensitive like oh this guy kind of just this is he's just his head is his only and this is what makes the movie i think what doesn't get explored enough but i think is a smart thing about the movie the house does this to everyone yeah However, his demons are so much that he brings a lot more. It's like he showed up to someone's house who plays with fire with a big box of matches. It is literally like it's like the Overlook Hotel. Right. It's just a hotel. If you don't, if you're just a normal person, it's just a hotel. But the second you walk in there and you're you have the shine, it's just like a fucking plugging a battery into something, right. and it just comes alive. Yeah, so that's I, I think this house would fuck with anyone, but it becomes more about him. Uh, but the setup of that, anyways, what I was trying to say earlier was that the movie kind of loses the thread because it sets up with his aunt saying she appears to him as a ghost, the only apparition that doesn't mean him harm. It says, the house will lie to you. It lied to me forever, and then I finally believed it, and that's why you know I'm gone. Yeah. But the, don't believe the house. The house will lie to you. And I think the best example of that is when his you know quote unquote wife shows up Mm -hmm. and then it's the scary monster the witch the ogre then he shoots the scary monster and it turns back into his wife and then turns back into the scary that whole sequence is what i think is meant by the house will lie to you it's yeah messing with his perception um and it does an interesting thing you know 
an easy comparison to make uh, just because of the misnomer in Europe is this movie to Evil Dead because Evil Dead is known as the house. So it's, it's like... It's La Casa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing with Evil Dead is you show up and there's it, your perception is fucking with you, but there's a sense in which these things are more real, you know? Yeah. With this movie, it's like at a certain point things become real, but it's still tied to illusion a lot more. There's this theme of illusion. Until we get really into the woods with Richard Mull's character, who I yeah. forget the name of the, the name Big of the character. Ben. Once Big Ben is really set up, it becomes about Big Ben. Yeah. And we lose the thread that this is about the house at all. Because it becomes about defeating Big Ben. Yeah. What the fuck does that do? That's what I'm saying. It's it's kind of like the most iconic part of this movie, Big Ben, is the weakest aspect of this movie right. because it puts a face on another. Right. Like if this movie were just about this house, that's a focal point for all this weird shit going on. Right. That's manifesting itself as it that it's manifest it it, it, it it that it's manifesting these illusions as what people are afraid of. Right. That I'm with. Right. But then they establish that like Big Ben is not an illusion. Big Ben is the remnants of his uh, war buddy who he abandoned who has taken his child. It, Big Ben is like a real right. thing. Right. So. But that's because they want to deal with the trauma, our character. So we haven't really gotten too much into the plot, actually. We meet up with our character when his marriage has fallen apart because his child has disappeared and the child disappeared at the house. In the pool, which is really weird. Yeah, and so there's a few things going on. One is he's kind of lost without his wife. He's not happy. The separation is not something he needs. It's really because of the pain of losing their child. Yes. His aunt dies and kills herself in the house, so he's got this house to deal with. And he's working on a book about Vietnam, um, and it's clearly motivated by the trauma he experienced there. So the movie, in a way, it's a very Stephen King movie, right? Yeah. Like, Here's a supernatural thing. We're going to tie it into your personal loss and the fears you have in the past. Uh, and again, very much seems like uh, something you write when you are dealing with success, but you realize you still have your own demons to struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, what the movie t does, though, in conflating Big Ben with his missing child is then like really focus it on this one thing. Whereas before that, the house manifests in a lot of different ways. And those things, let's be clear, they're not just illusions. They're illusions that fuck him up. You know what I mean? Like when the creature comes out of the closet. It physically scratches it him. It physically scratches him. So it's not that they're purely visual things. But it is more tied to him versus the house until Big Ben shows up. And it, of course, the movie ends in a way where the house is now in danger, right? Like the house is going away in some way. But you end up feeling like, oh man, he can't. He really conquered that dead dude who wanted to get him. And you're like, for me at least, I'm like, well, it doesn't really fit with the theme of the no. rest of the movie. I don't know, but it, I think it's only because we're thinking hard about it that we that you realize that. I, 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 I guess what it boils down to is this: it only matters because at some point the movie transitions from a funny but effective horror movie to what happened a lot in the age of 80s, a horror adventure. Yeah. And not all horror adventure is bad. In fact, I still think this movie's good. And I even like the sequel, which is almost all an adventure and no horror. But in the movie itself, it feels like a stark thematic, not just thematic, but tonal shift. Absolutely. From 
Who knows what's going to come out of that fucking closet, man? Who knows? And when he first goes to into the closet and it's Vietnam, it's like, well, God damn, this is, you know, it all feels part of this nightmare. But then eventually it just starts to be like, well, now he's on a rescue mission and the thing and he just has to blow him up. And it just starts to feel more like a fight and less like a nightmare. Yeah, because it's like, OK, so he's defeated Big Ben. Great. Right. Wonderful. Um, what about the strange, weird Cronenbergian monster that's in the closet? Right. What about the Edo goblins? What right. about the witch? What about the fucking skeleton dragon that lives in his bathroom mirror? Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like all those things are still there. They didn't. He didn't defeat them. Right. So, well, he cut the witch's head off and he buried her. But like, you know. Yeah, the hand got out. Though. The hand got out. Yeah. So there's there's this. It go Side note, the other connection to Evil Dead I always thought was that the hand gag yes. was a ripoff of Evil Dead. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it just goes from this, it, it just goes from this very classic, like, haunted house, like, spooky thing to, um, I, you know, again, I, I appreciate the metaphor for PTSD for veterans, but I think it's sort of, like, shoehorned in there, and then they lean... They, they they make it like they make it less of a metaphor and more of a like a they make the subtext the supertext. I think it's to me what ends up happening is, and maybe this is just me projecting, but I I, I feel like I'm probably right. Once they involve the kid, they're then in a weird situation where it's like, are we willing to kill the kid? Yeah. No, we're not willing to kill the. I mean, they just literally aren't willing to kill the kid. Well, that means this is an adventure movie, my my man. Like, we got to rescue the kid. We got to reconcile with the wife. Turns out the kid is... I do think it's uh, also not a great testament to what we see as the conflict in their marriage when all she needs is the, oh, kid's alive? Well, then we're a family again. Like, you know what I mean? Like To be fair, when his neighbor calls her, I, I do. She wants. I mean, we see a scene earlier on where she's clearly trying to emotionally connect with him. Yeah, it, 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 it seemed like it was like an amicable divorce where it was just like I don't hold any ill will towards about towards you. You're clearly just like a broken human being. I can't be around. Sure. Still, the shorthand that you need to tell that story in a movie is kind of like, oh, okay, this is where we're at, which is like the house is on fire, but you know that's not a big loss. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to bum anyone out who loves this movie, um, because the whole time we were watching it, I had fun. Yeah, like I, 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 lo- I still love this it's movie. It's a purely enjoyable movie. I just wish, I think it would have worked better if, so there's a whole series of scenes towards the end. And I think part of this is that George, let, let's be clear, uh, George, Richard Mull looks good in this makeup, assuming that's him. It might be Kane Hodder. It's not Kane It's It's actually not Kane Hodder. It's, it's uh, some dude that doesn't matter. It is... The point is, whoever Kurt that Wilmot. whoever that is in the makeup aspect of of Big Ben, he looks good. I get it for '80s special effects, he looks good. But it's like they it's like they had to get their money's worth. Whereas it would have made more sense for them. They're run, let's say they're running from Big Ben. If then they turn a corner and there's another monster, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if the house was manifesting itself in other ways, I just think that thematically works better. That what we get isn't bad. It's still very enjoyable and very fun. It's just funny, like I just think it 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 is a funny, goofy movie that actually starts off dealing with a lot of important stuff. And I think some of what you were highlighting about the importance of PTSD to this plot is kind of lost at the end where you're just blowing yeah. up your dead friend. 
Yeah. It, no, or not friend. Dead co-soldier who you don't actually like. Yeah. A side note, that scene when they're like, when Big Ben, he's having the flashback and like Big Ben is like injured and he's like, gotta kill me. And then like the Viet Cong show up and they're like dragging him away and he's like, I'll get you for this. And then you find out he's like, they tortured me for weeks. Like when I was a kid, that always fucked with me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's rough. I will say, um, if you're someone who's sensitive to uh, portrayals of Vietnam, uh, this is not a very nuanced, sensitive film no this is very much a uh the the worst case scenario of the the man in black pajamas coming to drag you away like that's sort of that's sort of the vibe so if you're someone for whom you don't enjoy those sorts of vietnam films well that part might bum you out uh i would go as far as saying the scenes of them in vietnam and the portrayal of the experience of the soldiers in vietnam was uh, right there like right there for being offensive, because uh, well, it's a, okay. So it, it, every portrayal of Vietnam is gonna feel racially tinged because it's always about us and then the North Vietnamese, and very rarely is it like, oh, also there were South Vietnamese there too. Yeah, yeah. It's always like American people, almost never Asian, fighting these entirely Asian group with no Asian friends. Yeah. And that's just not what it was, first off. But second of all, it really can set off people's... If you are, for example, I don't know, Vietnamese, you might watch it and be like, oh, this feels gross. Um, then this movie is giving you the caricature. This is like the Universal Studios action play thing version of Vietnam. This movie is somehow racist towards white people when it comes to people <laughs> being in Vietnam. Um, but it is, I mean, everyone in that... It, those flashback scenes are not meant to be... Uh, natural. They're very much the most extreme version. Yeah. But on a, in a way, though, it's his memory. It's also what he's writing. He's writing a book. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So yeah. some part of me is like, I bet it wasn't like that. I bet he's sort of like dramatizing his life. Gung-hoing it up. I mean, and... he, he writes horror books. It's not like he's like, well, my next personal memoir about my life is yes, going to be... My next Stephen Ambrose moment is going to be... But I do like the idea that, you know, he's trying to expand as a horror writer and... He wants to tie into something that really matters to him. And the feeling he's getting is like nobody wants nobody wants to know what happened. Yeah. You know? Because no one wants to know. We talked about this when we did our episode on Death Dream. Yep. You know, it's like th this was a, not that this movie is this nuanced, sophisticated take on, you know, how veterans deal with, you know, trauma when they return from uh, overseas or from 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 a war. But uh, yeah, you know, there the the opening scene is when he's at like he's at like a book signing and people are like, "What's your next book on?" And he's like, um, "It's about my experiences in Vietnam." And this was maybe fifteen years after we got out of Vietnam. Less than that. Less than that. So yeah, and and they're like just twelve, right? Yeah. What year did we get out? I want to say seventy two. Saigon Phil. So it was thirteen. Thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So not that long, you know, like right. two thousand seven from our from our right, point right, of view. Right. And people are like, okay, whatever. Like, Fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this guy's writing a book about real shit that happened to him, and these people could not give a fuck less. They just want more horror. And I, I think that could go... I think that speaks to the, the culture uh, in America where um, we love the troops, and we love them until we have to deal with them. And, we you know, until we have to deal with what they've been through, and then all of a sudden it's... Uh, Oh yeah, okay. No, no, no. It just you know, 
I'll just put my bumper sticker on my car and wave the flag and that's it. And right. So, House 1986. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, I will say we sort of hinted at it, but uh, or not hinted, but we only briefly mentioned it. Um, I love George Went in this movie. I, I really thought him being in this movie was a stupid gimmick, and it's not. I, I think he's actually really good I, as the I neighbor. Th- there, there, there's, there's a moment when he plays the annoying, he plays like the annoying neighbor, and he's just like typical, like typical dumb neighbor, like goofy, whatever. Yeah. And then the scene when he, when, when William Cat's like, no, 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 there, you have to come upstairs. You have to see this thing in there. And he's like, o- okay. It's definitely, there's a, he, he plays like the whole thing. Like if he, he plays very well a man who is concerned for the well being of their friend. Sure. And is just uncertain on how to proceed. But he's like, I'm not going to say anything that's going to set this guy off. I'm just going to play along enough to be like, to guide him along. And hopefully he sees the reason and the insanity of what he's experiencing. Um, and he's annoying at times, but there's also this like, really endearing quality to him where he like he's still supportive you know what i mean he's still like yeah of course there's a fucking there's a monster in your closet sure okay and then there is and he's like okay all right like i'm i I still have your back it's 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 cool i mean here's the thing you can't get all the comedy from the greatest american hero no (laughs) he has some moments he can be funny and he does a little bit of slapstick in the movie which i enjoyed like because he's facing a a possibly deadly situation but he's also doubting his own sanity so whenever he does weird shit i'm like yeah that makes sense yeah 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 that's what i would, I would probably do something like that oh, you yeah. know the house will be on fire the second that thing came out of the closet <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> but the, the idea like he plays it pretty good and i don't necessarily know that i know this guy's an actor other than this movie and the great american hero well let's great see what else he's been in. but uh but i think he plays it pretty well However, I just think when it comes to like some comedic relief, um, Norm is just there. He's just doing it, and he's just adding that thing. Norm is there. It, you know what I mean? Like he's yeah, yeah, he's yeah. really bringing something extra, so that we don't have to have uh, uh, the greatest American hero acting like some sort of like total goofball. You know, like he can play a character who's lived in and believable, um, and not just like a, a silly caricature of something. You know. Yeah, I'm looking at his filmography right now. It's probably best that we refer to him as the greatest American hero. Okay, I'm going to do that. Yeah. What was the song at the end of the greatest American hero? Oh, I don't know. Believe it or not, I'm walking on it. No, it's not that. There's something at the end. Some silly song that was like not related to being a superhero at all. It was really funny. Anyways, so yeah, that's that's 1986's house. Um, I'm not sure what else there's to say about it. It's great. You should watch it. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I know there are people who listen to the show for whom fun and horror don't belong in the same sentence. But and I know that one half of this podcast who isn't Liam often uses fun as a way of saying I really didn't enjoy this movie, but I didn't hate it. Right, right, right. But no, this movie actually is like a blast to watch. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's cool. I just think you know, in hindsight, I think they should have just done a bunch of different creatures at the end instead of just focusing on our man. Um, Big Ben. Yeah, and I'll I'll post I'll post some pictures on Instagram, of um if for whatever reason you don't have a computer and you don't have access to look up the weird goblins in this movie, um tonight. I mean, to be fair, Big Ben just looks like uh, he looks like if if Evil Eddie was thick. Evil Eddie, isn't that his name? The Iron Maiden guy. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, Eddie. Evil Ed is the guy from Fright Night. Oh, you're right. Yeah. What's the name of the Iron Man guy? Oh, he looks like if Ed was thick. Yeah. Like the way they shape his face. He looks like thick Ed. Thick Ed. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about House 2, the second story, Frightening Strikes Twice. <laughs> we'll be right Last back. year, audiences everywhere thrilled to a terrifying film about the horrors of home ownership. House. Now, there's an all-new house. It's like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. With brand new owners. Charlie. Huh? Got it. And it's getting weirder. Look! It's a prehistoric bird! I got you, Jess! I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Two friends inherit a fantastic house. Charlie, there's a jungle in there. And a 170-year-old mummy. Surprise! Who is this? You can call me Gramps. No, they're in for more trouble than they ever imagined. You're gonna kick the door open, run in there blindly, and I'll cover you, okay? Guy with the big gun goes first. House 2, the second story. This place gives me the creeps. And we are back to talk about 1987's House 2, the second story. The new owner of a sinister house gets involved with a re- with reanimated corpses and demons searching for an ancient Aztec skull with magic powers. Let me say right up the front, crystal skulls are bullshit. They're made up by the British to fetishize Central American indigenous culture, and they're not real. Okay. Okay, I've got that out of my system. Let's good. talk about this movie. Not as good as the first one. I think that's fair. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, look. Oh, man. So, House 2 is literally, I mean, I, you know, I have the box set from Arrow, and there's a special features little making of John. And the first thing they just say is like, well, you know, we just had the title, and we had some money, so we just thought we'd make we'd make another one. And uh, so we just, we, we're just going to make another one. And then they go to the, the guy who wrote the script for Prowse, and they're like, so can you give me a new script in like two weeks? Two weeks. And my man's like, yeah, if you let me direct it. Yeah, sure, whatever. All right. It's not, you know, this is not, uh, we've talked about this before, but part of the alchemy of filmmaking is that sometimes something can be totally crass and money-grubbing and still weirdly produce something that's like a lasting work of art. Yeah. That's not this. No, Frightening did not strike twice with this movie. No, 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 no. This is a goofy thing that magically is entertaining like somehow they tie it all together something that is this half-assed filled with this much ridiculousness plus featuring motherfucking bill maher uh (laughs) should not actually be entertaining and yet it is though yeah but is it scary though no never not even close it couldn't even spell scary no it couldn't (laughs) oh my gosh it uh it's it's also worth noting that there are officially four movies in the house franchise. Sure, sure. Not La Casa, House. Uh, the character of Roger Cobb, William Katz's character from the first one, doesn't come back to the fourth one. The third one, for a sizable chunk of my life, I thought the third one is the horror show. Uh, shout out to Sean and Joe. 
uh, I thought that was Shocker when I was a little kid. No, Shocker's the guy in the in the in the electric chair. That's what house. That's what that's what the horror show is. But it's not that guy in the electric chair. No, it's what's his face. It's the guy from um, oh, what's his name? Uh, you know the guy from the Fifth Element. Does he travel through the TV too? I in Shocker, he travels through the, the TV. TV. See, yeah, I don't know. It's been I I own it. Lance Hendrickson's in it too. So anyway, <sighs> anyway enough with my weird childhood. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. Um, from what I understand, House three and four are terrible. Confirmed. I think are are House one and two in the La Casa series of films. House two is. House three is. House House four isn't. Actually, let me double check that. I mean, I yes. don't think it matters that much, but no, even the people who made La Casa don't know what's in that series. <laughs> uh, and by that, I mean Sam Raimi. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, La Casa Six is House Two. La Casa Seven is the Har Show. Fucking weird. Yeah. Okay, so um, you know, House Two is literally a movie that happens when you destroyed the house and you can't get any of the original actors back. That's what happened. Is okay. We got to make another movie. We got to call it House. Well, we burnt down the first house, and everyone who was in the first movie roundly doesn't want to be in this movie. So we gonna start over, guys. Um, so they find a new house and a new, you know, sort of story for that house. Now I will say this: the structure of the film, for the most part actually avoids the very criticism we had for the first movie which is it's very focused on it's a creepy house and creepy things come out of the house yeah um and when we finally get the big bad who unlike in the first movie this movie there is a big bad that was set up from the first we actually see the big bad murder our main character's parents at a different time period in the first scene so like he is the big bad. Once we're there, he is the big bad. And the house itself is simply the context in which the creepy things happen. He also roughly quotes a Misfits song, which is pretty cool. That's true. But in the structure of the film, he doesn't show up until the end. Literally, there's like 10 minutes left. He still functions as a quote unquote big bad, but a lot of crazy shit happens way before he's even like brought back into the what, story. What's his name? Uh, It's like Slim... I kind of missed his name. Slim Jiminy or something like that? Slim Razor or something? Slim. It's Jackie Jama- Jamahu. You're on the friggin'. No, all it says is Slim, but I know he has a last name. Jagaloon McNeil. Was that his name? <laughs> sure. Slim Jagaloon McNeil. I think it's with. Razor. I think he's, it's Slim, Slim Razor. Slim Razor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, basically, a couple secrets away their child because they're worried about their safety. They go back in the house to sort of pack up and exit and they're accosted by we don't see him but it's a it sounds like an old-timey western guy and mm-hmm. he wants the skull and so he murders them because he they don't have the skull for him uh years later their secret away baby returns with his uh music exec girlfriend who is addicted to shoulder pads <laughs> and his uh cocaine addled best friend with his new singer girlfriend uh that whole plot, by the way, only exists to bring Bill Maher into the film, so it sucks. Uh, it's actually not bad. It's actually not a bad layer to the movie. It just involves Bill Maher, so I'm like, God damn it. It sucks. Leave it out of the film. Yeah. Uh, so they move back into the house, and pretty quickly, the house is weird. It's uh, a good description. Just really quickly, it's like, oh, the, oh, the house sucks. The house is weird. 
Uh, but in the in the in the setup of the weirdness, I mean, the house is weird because it's an old timey house that has Aztec shit in it. Oh, we forgot to mention and that at one, at one point they get drunk and they're like, "Oh yeah, I heard my great great grandfather okay is buried with jewels. Let's dig no, up no, no, his no, no, no. fucking bones." Only the friend is drunk. The main character is sober when he discovers this about the crystal skull and goes, well, "I guess that's what we're gonna do today is go dig up the corpse." Yeah. Let's just go dig up a corpse. And the drunk friend is like, yeah, I don't give a fuck, fuck it. Let's do it. I've already given up on life. The friend, let's be, let's address something. This is a very 80s thing. The friend presents as a drunk driver and then never sobers up the whole film. He's, yeah. He just has, I mean, the film should be about him getting help is what this is, should be a film about. <laughs> but it's not that. <laughs> he just I gets. shouldn't laugh at that, but that's, you're not wrong. He just is a problem. And they never, his friend never stops and goes, I know we're going through some crazy stuff right now. There's Aztecs and and all kinds of weird shit. But can we just stop and talk a little bit? You drinking? woke up next to a bottle of Jack Daniels, drunk, and then started to drink the Jack Daniels again. So they go to dig up the, his great grandfather's or grandfather or great grandfather, great great grandfather, great great grandfather's corpse because he thinks there might be a treasure. Turns out the great great grandfather wasn't expecting to be buried this long. He thought the Legend of the Crystal Skull would bring someone to dig him up sooner, mm -hmm. and thus he would come to life because of the power of the Crystal Skull. Now, I don't know if that means he's been asleep in his grave, but regardless, he was supposed to look young, and something goes wrong, and he looks like a charred piece of bacon. Like, he just looks fucked up. I, I will say the one kind of creepy thing is when he wakes up and he's wearing that sort of, like, jade yeah, mask. Yeah. That's pretty creepy. The jade mask, by the way, looks like the mask in the... Not the Jim Carrey film, The Mask, but the original, uh, I think, Mexican horror movie, The Mask. Uh, if you've ever seen it, it looks almost exactly like that. Like mask. Eric Stoltz's Rocky Dennis? <sighs> I know, I'm just fucking with you. <sighs> so they dig up the grandfather's corpse. Uh, of course, rather than be horrified, once he stops trying to kill them, they're immediately charmed with him and instead decide to be his mentors in the modern world or some bullshit. It's it's just immediately charming. There's it's no, very endearing. Especially because yeah. it's Royal Dano, so you're like, yeah, he, he, he's, he's just a flat you know, yeah. He's just talking about, I was a prospector, I well, used to shrub the thing. He just lets them know that the crystal skull is a thing and they gotta protect it and they put it in the little, the fireplace is a temple, I guess, or mm -hmm. some shit. So, in the open, not guarded. Yeah. So then, they're telling them stories all day. He's telling them stories all day and then there's a party because it's Halloween and it's the guy's birthday. And then slowly what happens is the house, just like the original house, the house is magic. But this house is like randomly magic without much explanation. And so various people show up from different time periods mm. trying to get the crystal skull. So like the first guy who shows up, he's in prehistoric times with dinosaurs, which, by the way, didn't ever happen and that's fucked up, and that's some Bible bullshit. So let's just move on. From it's that. also worth pointing out that we realized this movie came out five years before Jurassic Park. Yeah, and it has some true god awful stop motion animation bullshit. Just, just whack. Now it does also have the dogger pillar, which I think yes. is cool. But uh, so first, it's stolen by a caveman. They got to go get it. There's dinosaurs. They end up with a baby pterodactyl. Which just looks like a dodo bird, so that's weird. <laughs> it looks exactly like a dodo bird. <laughs> You're not. <high. laughs> it just looks like a dodo bird. You're weirdly offended by that. Well, okay, a pterodactyl is a thunder lizard. That's a giant flying lizard. 
looking thing. Technically, it's a pterosaur, but go on. The fucking point here is that they show us a goddamn dodo bird. Yeah, they had baby baby dinosaurs, baby pterosaurs, baby archosaurs had feathers. T Rexes had feathers. Raptors had feathers. Most theropods. This had isn't feathers. just about his fucking feathers. He has the dodo bird beak. He's literally a recreation of a dodo bird. Most dinosaurs they, they, they had beaks. They think now when they were when they were born they didn't have teeth. They chipped out of an egg, and that's it's younger. It's a pterosaur. <laughs> I think no, you're not. Mi- not I think a you're missing the point here. It's not a dinosaur. It's not a lizard. It's not a thunder lizard. Whatever that is, whatever weird shit you just said right now. It's a fucking thunder lizard. It's not a thund- that's a brontosaurus. That's literally bron- bronto thundersaurus <sighs> lizard. It's a pterosaur. The point here is that if you were telling me you're going to design a baby pterodactyl, it's not a pterodactyl. Pterosaur. Two different things. How do you know it's not a pterodactyl? Because it's not a fucking pterodactyl. They had long, pointy beaks. This is what I'm fucking telling you. When it's flying around, okay. the adult, yes, it's a fucking pterodactyl. It's a pterosaur. Oh, my God. The, uh, they say pterodactyl in the movie. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot that the characters in this movie are bastions of reliability. What I'm trying to fucking tell you. You're so upset. You're taking the bait, and I love it so much. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about anything I just said, and you are so upset right now. Because here's the point, y'all. In the script, it said they find a baby dinosaur, pterodactyl. It looks like an extra from the TV show Dinosaurs. <laughs> but it doesn't, though. <laughs> it really they literally were like, okay, we need to make a baby dinosaur. Have you guys ever seen a dodo bird? Yeah, I've seen a dodo bird. Let's just make it look like a dodo bird. That's weird, because a dodo bird doesn't look like it's a baby pterodactyl at all. Yeah. I know, but it's cute. So let's yeah. just make a dodo bird. Okay, we'll make a dodo bird. That's what you do. To be fair, this I'm getting upset about this. There's also a caterpillar dog. There's a caterpillar that has the face of a cute puppet dog. It's adorable, and it barks, and it woofs, and it's so cute. And I don't, I don't, I'm not pretending to be a paleontologist here, but I'll just let y'all know, in the olden times when there was thunder lizards, when giants were upon the earth, there were not dog caterpillars that didn't exist. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world <laughs> where dogger pillars existed, who then cocoon and come out as butter dogs <laughs> so there's really two plots going on here the first plot is that uh my man and his friend his drunk friend are meant to be protecting the crystal skull because it turns out gramps they call him gramps right or grampy or gramps. gramps gramps is useless his he his he's only there to make sure they know that there is a crystal it skull. It would literally be like if my grandfather was in this movie. <laughs> he has no input, no. no insight. He can't tell them anything about the crystal skull or about the various forces that he, want the crystal he, he skull. He drifts through this movie. He drinks beer. Confused he plays and horrified with the at the dog, modern world. He, he plays with the dogger pillar. He watches TV that he hates, and he drinks beer. That's basically all he does the whole movie. He's never has insight. He never fights anything. He's just there. And so these guys have to figure out on their own, which, of course, it turns out is hard on a relationship. Though, to be fair, with shoulder pads like that, I'm not convinced his woman ever loved him. No, and then Bill Maher just has to fucking stick his nose and everything and ruin everything for everybody. So part of the movie, part of the subplot of the movie is his relationship falling apart because of these various forces. There's also a weird ex-girlfriend that shows up. And because of what happens in the first movie, the whole movie you're thinking this ex-girlfriend is going to grow tentacles or some shit. Yeah. And then she just disappears. Yeah. What happens? They find her in a closet. Also, there's a trap door in the closet, and then they never explore where that might go. Nope. They just is there. 
She goes, for a gag? She's like, I'll meet you in the backyard. To do what? And then she's in the closet. And then Drinking. She, and then she's gone. Yeah. Again, her character would only make sense if right at the point he's about to knock boots. Yeah. And, and whether that's before or after his shoulder pads leave. Mm-hmm. She pulled off her face and she was razor, slim razor. That'd be amazing. Or Gramps. Well, again. I got you. Well, again, there's already a, a precedent for this when we have the in House One. Ex wife mm-hmm. turns into monster lady. That's what should be happening here. And the whole time I'm watching it, even though I've seen this movie a million times, I'm thinking, does she turn into a monster? This really feels like she should be turning into a monster. I'd be so mad if I was about to smash and you just turned out to be Royal Dano. I'd be fucking pissed point is she just wanders off so she only existed to make his shoulder pads justifiably jealous and then she leaves with bill maher though i guess she has to be justifiably jealous for us to believe she would leave with bill maher because he sucks yeah so then bill maher sucks and he takes both the female characters and instead of that being an interesting plot point it really just is like brushed under the rug it really feels like we have too many people in this house we need less people so let's just have these characters exit for no real reason. We don't have the gumption to kill them, so... Yeah, so they're gone. Uh, and it also justifies how the movie eventually ends, which is uh, all this shit is going down, and uh, of course, kind of like in the first movie, there's an outside world. Uh, and while in the first movie, uh, the greatest American hero is able to trick the police into like not arresting his dumbass, yeah, 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 yeah. this movie, you know, there's, it's too late. He's got to both blow away slim dick and also not get killed by the cops you forgot a crucial plot point what's that when they go through a hole in the wall that is generated by cliff from cheers oh, i didn't forget We're oh getting okay there. go there go. i'm just saying the the exit of the f- friends is just to make the ending make sense yes. that's something that you already knew how you're going to end the movie yeah but then we get this aside and it's just like it really is like my man was writing the script I'm assuming high on blow because he wrote it in two weeks. He's blowed out. Yeah, he's just like, I really wish this movie had something like it had something like Norm in that first fucking movie. Norm really made that first fucking movie. Man. I can't get Ted Danson. He's just gonna shit like Norm as a. I know. We'll get Cliff. <laughs> so fucking Cliff Clavin shows up. He's not Cliff. Clavin. His name's Bob. Bill. Bill. Bob. 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 I think it's Bob. I thought it was Bill. Is we'll go. Well, I mean, you know what? Motherfucking Cliff Clavin shows up. He's an electrician. Bill. John Ratzenberger. It's yeah, Bill. Yeah, yeah, John Ratzenberger shows the fuck up. He's a, he's an electrician. He's testing shit out. The crystal skull has been grabbed by some racist stereotypes. Let's be clear. No 80s movie could exist. In that, no movie could exist in 1987 without gay panic and racist stereotypes. It was impossible. So they were like, okay, we need a racist stereotype. Okay, we'll have these Aztecs come, and they're going to sacrifice somebody. and They'll just be brown painted white people mm-hmm. and then uh and then uh one of the characters drops a hard f right yes yes drops a hard f so you got the gay panic in there too so mm-hmm. uh cliff clavin opens now to be fair i'm sounding harsh about this this is in fact for me my favorite part of the movie that cliff <laughs> clavin shows up as this electrician he opens up the wall and he's like oh look you got have uh one of those uh portals to another dimension you guys are gonna go in there? Well, let me just go ahead and get my adventuring sword. Lifts and up I'll... the tray in his toolbox to reveal a fucking pirate sword, and he just goes in with them, and he knows what to do, and he's like, "All right, I'll hold these guys off. I'll meet you guys back there." They get back. He's already back cleaning his glasses. I love this. Brief aside, I told Justin this. 
and I've said this on the show before, I have a number of things that I've never written because I don't think I can write, but they are ideas. And one of the ideas I had that we talked about on the show before is like, I want to smush together the Hellblazer character, John Constantine, okay, with the Lord of Illusions character. Harry Demore? Yeah. So a guy who knows about magical stuff, but unlike Constantine, who's like pretty okay with it. He's mad about it, but he's pretty okay with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I really like the Harry is, for the few stories he's in before in the comics, he makes a total turn. But before the, the few stories he's in, he keeps getting involved with shit, and he's just real skeptical about it. Like, fuck, what is it? I don't want to do it. What is this bullshit? I don't want this in my life. Weirdly enough, you had mentioned that you imagine that uh, Cliff Kratzenberg or whatever his name was. Yeah. Cliff Clavin was how you imagine Repairman Jack. What you're describing right now is Repairman Jack. So that's what I'm saying. But that's what I would do is I would take that character, which you're describing as Repairman Jack, and then the element of whimsy I would add would be the way that Cliff comes into the story. So the idea is the story starts with these folks, and in my case, it's like um, people involved in a subculture in a city. Yeah. And so they already feel like they're part of a world that people don't understand. And they have a side character who's a part of the group who they're like not really keeping involved in the drama that's going on. Yeah. Then at some point you turn a corner and it's revealed that what's already drama in their lives has a weird supernatural angle. Okay. And they're like, you know, but the image I have in my head is like they're chasing somebody and then they go into a room and someone's just like on fire. And there's like this horrifying sort of supernatural thing. And then the side character's like, oh, okay. I know what's going on here. And they're all like, what the fuck? What do you mean you know what's going on here? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, the, we realize like this has actually been this person's story the whole, yeah. the whole time. It's actually his story. And they're the side characters. And they are, from that moment on, kind of othered. They become the people on the ride and the whole thing is about him and his whole thing is like he's a part of this thing in a John Constantine way but he doesn't want to be a part of it he's like kind of rejecting his own importance the whole time and then the crux of the narrative is like you know kind of related to some other properties this idea of like uh, reluctant chosen ones you know who are like I don't know I don't know and then the big reveal is like yeah man uh, we tell everybody that the chosen one thing we tell everybody that everybody gets the chosen we have we've had thousands of chosen ones <laughs> oh okay well then what's the well most people just are they're not good at it and then if you do it then that makes it true like the fact that you were it doesn't matter none of that matters all this destiny there's no destiny it's just whatever you decide to do in this moment that's what makes you either worthwhile or not worthwhile. All that other shit, that's just to get you on board, man. None of that shit matters. I like that. It's not real. There's a magic sword. There's no magic sword. No, none of that shit, you know. It's just you got to do it. Can you do it, though? Just show up and do it. How about that? And I like that angle of it. But it starts with this thing. So anyways, when I we were watching it, I remembered like, oh, that's where that idea comes from, is the idea that these guys are in this hopeless situation. There's a character who should be like, what the fuck is going on here? And instead he's like, oh, I see what's happening. And he just sort of helps them through. And then he's like, well, that was a lot of fun, guys. I'll talk to you later. I got here's, another here's, appointment at here's 4.30. My card. Now, do I think that was maybe a cheap attempt to tie in something that they could bring back in later movies? Absolutely. Yo, if they had their act together... It just would have been the fucking Bill Adventures after that. House 3 would be like Bill's new case. 
instead. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, we don't need to run through the whole thing. The, the point is, is that there's this film feels like a series of weird plot setup adventures. This is going to Brian James, who played Leon Kowalski in Blade Runner, the first guy who failed. Sure, yes, sure. That's sure, who's sure, in sure. the horror That show. makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, so this this film is just a series of setups. They almost feel like vaguely connected. Uh, you know, these are, um, you know, set pieces, but they're, they barely feel connected set pieces. It's like, it, it feels kind of like people just sat around and went, okay, so what's going to be in the house? I don't know, caveman. All right, caveman, good. There's dinosaur stuff, good. Uh, I don't know, Aztecs. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we need a funny character. There's an electrician guy, but he like he's an adventurer. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Uh, when do we bring in the bad guy? Oh, uh, everything seems like the end. It's all wrapping up, and then the bad guy comes up out of the table. Oh, that's really great. And then how do we wrap things up? Uh, he goes uh, into one of the doors, and he just lives in the magic house now, but in the past, in the magic past. With, oh, uh, with, with by the way, random brown. Oh, okay, so we already, <laughs> sorry. The Aztecs were the beginning of the racist trope. The final thing of the racist trope is that he rescues a young woman, a young Aztec woman. I keep saying Aztec, but they're uh, South American natives. Let's say that. They don't really say it, but there's a temple and human sacrifice. So it made me think of Aztecs. He rescues this woman. She immediately wants to fuck him. That's just the whole thing. She's going to be with him now. She's now the love interest. Shoulder pads has left. Brown woman who, by the way, doesn't speak English. Has so no line. Yeah. She doesn't say anything. She just looks at him like, I'm going to get me some of that. Like, that's the whole, her whole role is just to lovingly look at him. Mm-hmm. And then with his friend, he's got drunk friend. He's got, well, Gramps is dead, but like actually dead. <laughs> uh, he's got cat, dogger pillar. Dogger pillar finally just clicked for me. Yeah. Because it's not caterpillar, it's dogger pillar. Dogger pillar. Fuck. Uh, and dodo bird. And they all go into the Old West. And they're just going to live in the Old West now. And? That's how the movie ends. I'm saying, what's your problem with that? It's not that It's not that there's a problem with it. It's just that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a clear narrative arc. It feels like a bunch of ideas we threw at the wall, and now we just have to connect them so that they all kind of work together as Would a Would you go narrative. as far as saying it doesn't make any sense? Well, I mean... Do we need the movie to make sense? It's House 2. Yeah. I mean, look, it is weirdly funny. Uh, Our two jerk-off heroes are weirdly endearing, even though they are the definition of lame, mediocre white dudes stumbling their way towards winning. Stumbling up? Yeah, they stumble up the whole movie. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't have any abilities or interests, and they just, you know, don't don't fuck it all up. Uh, And... You know, like I said, it's weird. The Aztec thing is weird. It's not that weird. It's a common thing. Hey, we need faceless, nameless, faceless bad guys. Let's just have them be native of some kind. Yeah. That's not that weird. That happens a lot. But then making sure there's a female character who, because you save her, is now going to be your love interest? All of that feels a little like, what the fuck is happening? It's very fucked up. That being said, it is kind of an endearing movie. Uh, the scenes where Gramps is like talking about how he's like so happy to come back so he can oh meet his great great grandson. Oh it's like, it's a really, really touching scene. This is what's weird. All of the sentimental shit in this movie that shouldn't work really kind works. Of works. Yeah, like on a very real level. 
I, I, I wonder if this would feel like more of a tonal whiplash if any of it was scary. Like if, if all that sentimental, goofy, almost like 80s screwball comedy sort of shit, yeah. if all that stuff was in there and then the parts that were meant to be scary, I don't know if anything's meant to be scary, but if all the dramatic parts were actually scary or if there yeah. were more fucked up, you know, prosthetic sort of shit, like the sort of shit that was in house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would the tonal shift be a whiplash when you have Gramps like being so charming and child stuff? Like it, it might be. It might be that. I think it'd be worse if it was actually scary. That's what I'm saying. I think yeah, it yeah. might just be like a fucking like. Oh, this is too much at once. Yeah. I don't know. All I know is that there's a lot of things in this movie that make me be like, oh, this movie kind of sucks. Only. I don't actually feel that way. No, it's, again, I hate to say that this is a fun movie because of my history of using the word fun to describe a movie, but this is a fun movie. It's so enjoyable. It's not good, but it's not boring, and you're having a blast the whole time. Yeah. It doesn't drag at all. It it makes little to no sense, but that's totally fine. Yeah, you love all the characters you're supposed to love, and you're you you find it's just like you're smiling the whole time. I will say, I I think House is endearing to some people because of some of what you touched on of it being connected to like PTSD and like losing a child and like yes. real suffering. There is no human core to this movie. <laughs> there is. Unless you count the alcoholism of his friend. Yeah. Or the idea that some shithead with a mullet might steal your uh, shoulder pad having lady friend. They don't even handle breakups well. They're just like, yeah, she's gone. Meh, fuck her. I mean, yeah, it is literally like, well, I guess she left. All right. I mean, whatever. First of all, I got the drunk friend in the backyard still. I think she's passed out in the backyard. I don't even know. Now I just found a random brown princess lady who might have sex with me my mummy grandfather is imparting whismical fucking yeah. spry wisdom yeah. on me so there there is i mean and, and maybe that's also why the sentimentality works all of the humanity of the film is in gramps it's yeah. the way that gramps connects with them and has actual emotions and how that character is sold that the rest of it works it also is why um it's good that the big bad is in it so briefly he compared to gramps he is so not compelling. He's so not interesting. He just shows up and he's like... Side note, voiced by Frank Walker, which I knew right away. He's just kind of lame. He, yeah. He's just, uh, hey, I'm dead too, and I got guns. I'm like, so. a, I'm like a shitty version of Gramps. Yeah. My hair's weirdly red. My I'm skin like, is weirdly red. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He just doesn't, but he's in it so briefly. He just exists to be a source of danger. And um, barely that. Yeah. I guess when his f- head gets blowed off, blowed off? Blowed off. We, blown, could say, we could say blowed off. He gets blown off, and he still like gets up to shoot. I guess that's a thing. But Well, his skin is black, and his hair is red. It's weird, right? Yeah. It's. Un- I guess he was burnt by the sun. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to enable that. I'm not going to... Yeah. Okay. I will say it is kind of weird that uh, Gramps is pretty much a confirmed murderer. Why do you say that? Well, I mean, he murdered his friend. But that... In self-defense, I think. But... You know. People who listen to the show know. And you know. I'm, you know, I'm pro-criminal. Yeah. And I'm anti-cop. Yeah. That's who I am. And yet, when he's talking about all these stagecoach robberies 
and it's very charming and fun. Some part of me goes, he killed somebody. There's no, <laughs> you can't, no, uh, here's just the thing. Unless you're s- some sort of magical tactician, if you've done, if anyone in that time had done multiple robberies, someone got a bullet. You didn't rob multiple stagecoaches and like, yo, number 10, still no one shot. That's yeah. crazy, right? And at this time, you didn't need to put a bullet in someone's brain. If you shot a guy in the leg, eh, 50-50, that guy's yeah. dead. Yeah, Grimms is like, whew, man, another one down, didn't have to kill anybody. Come on, come on, Grimms killed people. And I'm not saying that's a big deal, but it is funny that the movie just glosses it over, glosses just over does his really... Yeah, he did fun stuff. He was a fun guy, all right? Sure, he had to murder his friend and leave him in the desert, but that's just how we get the plot going. Yeah, that's Tuesday. <laughs> all right. I don't know if there's much else to say about no. House 2, it, 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 and it's not worth it. It's really just a... Look, if you if the idea of a exceedingly fun adventure horror movie is bummer to you, you're not going to like You're not going to like it. No. But if you're like, yeah, I just want to watch something silly and fun and be weirdly charmed by a guy in zombie makeup. It's basically zombie makeup. And yeah. he's so charming. Yeah, he's he's a he's a, he's a, he's a he's a friendly mummy, which what else can you ask for? And there's a fucking dogger pillar. Come yes. On. So that's house 2. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Uh if you're a Patreon, thank you for patronizing us. Uh you can head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks if you would like to be a patron um if you're listening to us on itunes please do us a favor and rate review subscribe and download 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 you can follow us on twitter and instagram at the harbiz spelled b-i-z 666 uh and you can email us at the harbiz at gmail.com uh if you like this episode and want to listen to more and you want to check out some of our other podcasts Head to www.cinepunks.com and you will find all sorts of fun, cool stuff there, including like movie reviews, articles, retrospectives, all kinds of neat shit. So, yeah, until next time, um, thanks for listening. Fuck Victor Salva. <laughs> Bye. Don't talk, just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks. We're elitist, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth.